gosh, it's so interesting. You can hear the cars go by in the silence. I wonder if you could hear that when it was back, uh, when it was, before it was paved. Anybody remember that? It was still a red dirt road. Was it, could you hear the cars go by? Mm. Okay, well, it's hard to imagine it now. It's hard to imagine it now. But if you were here 24 hours ago, if you were that blessed to be here 24 hours ago, you would have seen a perfect day. I mean, it was perfect out there. I mean, I was about 70, what was it, 70? I can't remember the exact temperatures. Beautiful day, beautiful sun, beautiful people. And uh, there were a good number of people out there, each selling their stuff and everything. There was a lot of good stuff out there. I was one of the best customers, (laughs) as usual. Uh, I think I bought about $20 worth of stuff. Um, like Italian cards, these old cards from the 1960s. And there was a uh, shelter, like a, a beach shelter I bought for, I think, 10 bucks, something like that. That was my big purchase. Um, and and it, was, it was really good stuff. And the crazy thing is I brought a box to uh, the yard sale, but it was it's just the worst stuff. Do you ever do that? You bring stuff to a, a yard sale that will never sell? at all. Was just terrible stuff. It was all like, it was like, one of it was like a fire poker, one of those that was sort of bent a little bit. <laughs> sort of works, you know. And then one of them was a, uh, gosh, what was it? Uh, one of them was a old mirror, you know, one of the mirrors that's sort of speckly and stuff and has a stain on it from somewhere. Now, all of my stuff put together probably wouldn't have been $10. I wanted to put a dollar on each one of them, uh, knowing that none of them would ever sell. You know, just hoping. And did any of them sell? Jamory, none. No. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> so, you know, not a one. Not a dollar. And, uh, but they were all a dollar except one of them. And one of them was $2. And the one that was $2, it didn't sell either, but the one that was $2 was my grandparents' old percolator. Anybody ever remember using a percolator growing up? I remember when I was a kid, we would be going to the cabin, we'd be visiting my grandparents, and it would be about 5 in the morning. You know, it would be 5.30 in the morning, I'd hear this... And it was so, it was sort of crazy to hear, but it was so nice because the smell that would come around the cabin was so nice around that, that morning. And I remember thinking about it, I was like, gosh, this has to go for $2. <laughs> but even then I thought, gosh, even if someone were to pay me $2, would I really sell it to them? Would I, I mean, is that memory more valuable than $2? And I don't know. No one, you know, no one tempted me. I remember when my grandmother and I were young, on Saturdays when they were in town, they lived in Florida, but when they would be living at the cabin, they'd be around six months, she would take us to yard sales. She called it her favorite shopping place. All over the city. And I remember she would go to all these different places and they would say, oh gosh, maybe it was a bicycle or something like that. They'd want $10 for it. And she would offer them a nickel. 
nickel for a $10 bike. And it is crazy how many times I saw her buy bikes and such for nickels, for pennies, for a quarter. Okay, I'll give you a quarter. And they would sell it to her for a quarter. And I always was sort of blown away. Why would somebody sell something like that for a quarter? But I think my grandmother knew something. And that was that they really weren't selling it at all. They were really giving it away. You know, they were giving that stuff, that stuff that had been sort of crowding their basement or whatever, and they were giving this stuff that had been weighing them down, sort of occupying space, maybe making them sad or making them think of times in the past that are now gone or, or lost or left behind. You know, better to, to say goodbye and let a new owner. And in many cases, that new owner was my grandmother, who had a huge collection of stuff. You know, it makes me think of a, a, a friend I have, a dear friend of mine named Nora. Now, she's in Chattanooga, a good dear friend. She's more like a soul sister than anything else. And I've known her about 20 years or so, and we played at Pickens and Grennan's, and all sorts of musical events. And whenever I get a chance, I really do want to see her. Because she's one of those people that has a sort of twinkle in her eye. She always has some crazy plan up. And she has this twinkle in her eye. And she sort of makes you trust her whether then you want to or not. Now, her nickname for me is Leprechaun. So if you want to get an idea of what she looks like, her nickname is Leprechaun. Because she's little. She has little red, blonde hair. And she would look like a leprechaun if a leprechaun was 67 years old and had eight kids and lived on the backside of Sand Mountain. Now, she's always had some sort of business, and she did sort of things over her life, and she owned a restaurant for a while and an antique store. But what she does now more than anything else is she just has these little cabins set up where people rent them. She lives in a really beautiful place near a waterfall on Sand Mountain. And so she's got all these little cabins and little things she gets by with. And the thing I got to tell you about, she's got a friend. Well, not really a friend. Well, sort of a special friend, a, a former boyfriend, a part-time boyfriend, somebody that she's known off and on for 25 years. His name's Ronnie. And Ronnie is, he's a guy, I know him well. He's a really sweet guy. He knows just about everything you can know about Cherokee mythology and panning for gold and tracking antelope. But he just doesn't, he's hard to get along with. And all this process is, is you know, it's just hard to get along with and they, somewhere along the way, they split up. And I don't know what it was about or what the thing was. They'd split up a hundred times before. But in one way or another, he had got himself on the deed of all of these properties that she owned. And it was just sort of this thing that sort of held between them. It was just sort of this thing that sort of was always there. And any time this one or the other ones, the name came up, the energy in the room would go down. Now, it was one thing for Nora to do this, but whenever you talked to Ronnie, he was one of those guys that once he started talking about this stuff, he wouldn't quit. And it would go on and on. 
and on. And for years it was like that. It just for years it that was just it just sort of hung about them as people. It almost felt like it would never end. And then, out of the blue, a few weeks ago, Nora got a letter. And it was a letter saying that Ronnie would be willing to settle if she, she agreed to give him $87,109.61. And Nora knew he was serious as soon as he did the 61 cents. Now, I knew it. I had known both these people forever and a day, and I hope they never watch this. I hope they never do. But that is in no way fair to Nora. I mean, he did work on these properties some over the years, but he's not been around for a dozen years or so. It's not fair. And I was going to say, I said, Nora, you can't know. What, what did you do? And she said, I signed it. And I said, what did you, why? And she said to me something that was so beautiful. It re- this is really what this message is about. She said, you know, you cannot put a price on peace. You just can't put a price on peace. And she said, as soon as we did it and we got there, and he was actually pleasant to me that day, and we signed that document, I never felt more free in my life. After all of those years, you cannot put a price on peace. You know, I was sort of looking in the scriptures, you know, seeing what would relate to this, and I came across a little vignette in Genesis. So one of the things we're going to be doing in Bible study is sort of starting off with Genesis. And this is in Genesis chapter 13, and it's about Abraham and Lot. Anybody know this story? You know, if you know Abraham and Lot, they've been around together a good long time. They've probably been together 100 years by then. They were originally from Ur, well, Lot's dad had died, and sort of Abraham sort of raised the kid. Went to Syria, went down to Canaan, had been to Egypt and came back, and they were so blessed. They were, there were so many cattle and sheep and goats and all those other things that they had back then that they couldn't, there was not even room enough for both of them. And it says the herdsmen of the two began to quarrel with one another. Fight. So that's my sheep. That's my bush. And so what does Abraham do? Abraham, as the older man in this situation, has a right to determine what happens next. But what he says to Lot is telling. He goes to Lot and he says, Lot, we shouldn't quarrel. We shouldn't argue. Here, we're in the top of this mountain right here. We're at Bethel. Look around you. Whichever way you decide to go, I'll go the different way. If you want to go right, I'll head on left. And vice versa, if you go left, I'll, I'll go on right. And so Lot looks around, it looks at the top of this mountain, and on one hand he sees what we call the Holy Land. Right? And if you know the pictures of the Holy Land or Israel and such, it's pretty rocky and craggy. 
It's not, you know, it's pretty dry out there. And he looks to the east, that's to the west, he looks to the east and he sees the flood, the plain of the Jordan River. And at this time, it is full, it is so green and beautiful, and it reminds him, it says, of the Garden of Eden. And so for Lot, the choice is made. And so he goes east. He goes east towards Sodom and Gomorrah and all those wonderful cities. There's a whole bunch of them. You can read about them, but not really necessarily the wise choice. Because what he's seen, of course, is the veneer, the present, but of course he can't really understand the future. But I don't really want to talk about lots so much. What I want to talk about a little bit more is Abraham and the fact that his peace comes through his choice, through his gift. His gift to Lot of a choice. And in each one of these things, I'm beginning to realize that the price of peace, it comes with a cost. With a sacrifice, with a gift. It doesn't come free, but it requires something from the person who seeks it. You know, I think about sometimes about what true sacrifice is and, and what it is and how it comes with a requirement for peace. And I think about not only the peace between individuals and nations or communities, but also the peace within ourselves. You know, I've lived a lot of my life, I'm going to admit something to you, without a lot of peace. Often with a lot of doubt. With a lot of, of fear. A lot of wonder. So much of my life I've just wondered, have you ever just sort of wondered whether God could even hear you? Even knew your name. What is the price of that kind of peace? You know, I think the price is one that I am sort of aware of. And that comes from the Prince of Peace and his sacrifice and his gift. You know, when we read Ephesians chapter 2, it says, For he himself is our peace who has made the two one, who has destroyed the barrier and the dividing wall of hostility amongst people and ourselves. And it says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners or aliens, but now fellow citizens of God's people and members of God's household. See, whenever I realize that I'm not perfect, that I don't have it all figured out, that I find myself kicking myself for not getting a good deal at the yard sale, not selling anything, not always making friends, not always feeling whole, that it is my blessing, it is truly my blessing to, to know that that's okay. It's okay that in my weakest moments, in the moments that I feel the worst, 
that God is there with me. Taking all of it. All of the crap I have in my basement. That stuff hanging out in the attic that nobody wants is no good to anybody. I'm bringing it down. I'm getting it out. I'm having a sale. And the crazy thing with Jesus or Yeshua is that he's buying it all. All of my crap. And not even charging me a nickel for it. And when I realize that, when I know that, when I really do feel it, often at my lowest, it makes me feel whole. It makes me feel loved. And it makes me feel peace. And for that kind of peace, I don't know if you can put a price on. What is the price of your peace?